Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. Part of the whole co-op's foundation is giving back to the community. And, you know, whether it's, you know, we don't, you know, providing services is not really all we're about We've done a lot of economic development, community development work. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We're back another week. It's Will and Neil. What up, dog? How's it going? Oh, it's good. It's good. How you doing, man? All is good in my little little box down here. It is a big week. I know, right? Big week. It is Derby week. Yes, the the longest running festival, the greatest two minutes in sports history happens this Saturday, and I have not picked a horse. Have you? I have not. I've looked at the list. I'm narrowing it down. I think we should go ahead and pick one on the show. Yeah, I think so, too, since, uh, you know, this is the last time the people will hear our voice before Saturday. So who you got? Well, I usually go with, like, the 10 horse, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but since I can't just randomly pick whoever's number 10, I think that, uh, what's his name? What's the trainer's name? I'm th- trying to think about Bafford that got banned. No, Bafford's out. He's only won one derby though. I think, is it Todd Pletcher? Pletcher. Yeah. Does he have like four horses in the race issue? Uh, I'm not sure. I usually bet on the jockey. You can always go with the long shot. And there are several 50 to ones in the race this year. But that is <laughs> not me. That is not my cup of tea. I go for the best name, Will. Okay. Okay. So who you got? I think I'm gonna go with practical move. Oh. So most of my life I'm trying to make decisions and trying to think logically. And I'm always trying to think five steps ahead of you. So practical move kind of fits me and who I am and my thought process. It is 10 to 1. And to make things even better in your program, Will, this year in the 2023 Derby, number 10 is practical move. I was going to go practical move. I I, I swear I was going to go practical move. But no more. Since you did, I cannot. I'll go with a Pletcher horse. Another thing I always bet on is a gray horse. So Tap It Trice is a gray horse. Trainer's Todd Pletcher. Jockey is Luis Ciaz. I'll go with him. We got a bet on this? Practical move over Tap It Trice? 
I think so. Practical move is is probably going to make sense in the end. I mean, it is the practical, correct thing to do. So it is the practical uh, move. Three thousand pesos. That sounds good to me. In celebration of Cinco de Mayo, which exactly. is today. Real exactly. That's. <laughs> I was wondering if you would pick up. You did. Yeah. You're, quick, you're quicker than I give you credit for. <laughs> do you even know why we celebrate Cinco de Mayo? Because it's the fifth of May, bro. It's the 5th of May. I, I had no idea either. But it, it commemorates the anniversary of Mexico's victory over the Second French Empire at the Battle of Puebla in 1862. Did that happen in Appalachia? <laughs> right outside. Right on the outskirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention before we get into some news. You know what I finished? I hope you're going to say the night agent. The <laughs> night, night agent. Besides uh, the terrible acting. Did it? Dude, did it yeah? I wanted to find out what happened in the end, but I guessed it. And you told me I was barking up the wrong tree. I got I, I nailed it. You, I, did not. I nailed it. Episode I one. Yeah, you, it was a good one. You know they're coming out with season two because of the way it oh, ended. Right? They have no, to because of the way it ended. Oh, well, okay. I thought you meant like soon. No, I don't know that for a fact. You're just I'm making just another guess. You're making yeah. another practical move. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What, what else you got in the app news world? If you want a little app news, I have a, a little few local regional app news stories or items that are happening. The USDA just gave out some funding to support Appalachian farms and food businesses. They gave it to Rural Action in Ohio and a number of partners, $40 million to provide assistance in regards to grant writing, mentoring, business planning, and access to land that will support food and farm businesses with market entry. So it's to increase the farmers, the farmland throughout the region to get food into and local products into the hands of Appalachians. And this is in Pennsylvania and Tennessee, in Maryland, Ohio, West Virginia, and Kentucky, all in the Appalachian parts. So just wanted to mention that. Another little piece of news, the Kentucky Highlands Investment Corporation, who we've had on the show, is actually hosting a forum. It's called the Rural Partners Network Community Forum. It's in Pineville at Pine Mountain State Park at the Convention Center on May 11th. So it's coming up next week, May 11th at 8.30. You can register for it. It's a forum for governments, nonprofits, and community partners working in Bell, Clay, Harlan, Knox, Leslie, Letcher, Perry, Whitley, and any adjacent county. So the event is really to build collaboration, capacity, build relationships, and to allow these people to connect to federal and civic partners. They're having a ton of federal partners there to include the ARC, Department of Transportation, the VA, the Department of Labor, Department of Energy, HUD, FDIC. All these federal groups are going to be there at Pine Mountain State Park on May 11th. So if you're interested, we'll put it in the show notes. You can register and check it out. One last little piece of news. Heritage, Ohio and Buckeye Hills Regional Council is having a workshop on May 24th. This workshop is to really have a conversation about community development 
how to create vibrant downtowns and thriving communities through the Main Street approach. And then they're going to talk about historic preservation tax credits, both federal and state. So if you're interested, if you're in that area on building your downtown, making your downtown Main Street a thriving and sustainable part of your community, this would be an excellent workshop. You just got have to register. It's all free. Again, it's happening on May 24th. We'll put a link in the post. And I just wanted to mention that because of the importance of small businesses. I know in, in, in almost all the, the states throughout Appalachia, over 90% of the businesses are small businesses in the Appalachian part of the state or in the state in general. Obviously, small businesses are really important. And I wanted to mention that because this week is also nationally recognized as Small Business Week. As a uh, small business owner, I really appreciate you bringing that up. This over this weekend, go shop small, small shop local. But I also wanted to mention it because of the person we're having on the show tonight. You know what is really a game changer? I know we talked about digital equity last week. You know what a game changer is for small businesses? I think I know where you're going with this. And like I said last week, it's it's app news every week, right? Every week. Broadband, bro. About how important it was last week, but really how important it was no matter where you you live of how it should be equal for everyone in regards to access. Yeah, for sure. Um, you talk about practical move. Like I mentioned earlier, my man that we're getting ready to talk to is, you know, I, I feel like I'm five steps ahead. I think he was 25 steps ahead. I'm, I'm very much intrigued to have this next conversation. Me too. You know, we talked last week about digital equity and the work that Connect Humanity is doing to support some of the un underserved communities. But Keith Gabbard in Jackson County, like you said, was definitely ahead of the curve when it came, comes to broadband. Jackson County is a tiny, it, for those that don't know, Neil, tiny town of McKee in Jackson County. Yep. It's recognized as one of the most connected small towns in all the country. You know, we talked about of how, small rural areas can bring broadband the best ways last week. And that was through the municipal utility, but also through a co-op. And so Keith Gabbard, the CEO of PRTC in McKee, started laying broadband over a decade ago and has made Jackson one of the most connected communities. And it's really transformed that community. We wanted to have him on to talk about the importance of co-ops and to see what all they're doing in regards to broadband. And I got to know, too, does does Keith own this horse? I mean, he might own practical, practical move. He, he <laughs> might own it. So I, I'm getting that question in. But nonetheless, <laughs> let's, let's get him on. All right, let's do it. The sun shines bright on my old on the show today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Keith Gabbard. He's a lifelong resident of McKee in Jackson, Kentucky, and has worked for worked with for over 40 years and is the longtime CEO of the People's Rural Telephone Cooperative. That's a utility cooperative or a nonprofit member-owned organization that provides broadband, TV, and telephone service to 
Jackson and Owsley counties in Kentucky. So Keith, we want to thank you. We know you're a busy man, but we want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Pleasure to join you. Pleasure to join you. I always like to talk about broadband. Broadband and the pirates, I heard. Absolutely. Broadband and the pirates. <laughs> well, we, we might get into the pirates as well. But first, we wanted to start off with a question that we asked everybody. Like most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition. Neil and I, our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. This big spread of appetizers, bigger than the actual meals. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? We don't have a lot of appetizers at our holiday meals, but one of my favorites, when my wife, when we can convince her to make spoon bread, that is one of our favorite things. And she's really good at it. I know you're probably familiar with spoon bread. A lot of people might not be, but it's good stuff. And we we lift the meal or appetizer or whatever. But if you talk about a meal, it would have to be just garden fresh green beans, tomatoes, fried squash, cornbread, corn. You know, that's more of a summertime. You're not going to get that during Christmas. And You don't even go to meat and three. You just go to the four vegetables, right? Exactly. And spoon bread. Spoon bread must be hard to make. We, we've never heard that answer before, but spoon bread is incredible. But not a lot of people make it or make no, no, it. No. Right. Of course, it's famous in, in Berea at the Boone Tavern Hotel. Right. And my wife just right. got the recipe and she, she came home and made it. And I, I'm prejudiced, but I think hers is better. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Really, obviously, why we wanted to have you on here, we we recently had Connect Humanity on the show to talk about some of the work that they're doing with the ARC to help communities throughout the region of Appalachia in regards to building broadband networks. We won't have you on the show because PRTC is doing that and has been doing that in your area for going on 10 years now. I think we spoke earlier PRTC was definitely ahead of the times. But for our listeners that aren't aware really of co-ops or really don't understand co-ops, can you just say what PRTC is, what you do, how you got started and what the benefits are for the area there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have heard of electric cooperatives, but not many haven't heard of telephone cooperatives. So we, our company started in 1950 because uh, we didn't have any telephone service and other big companies would... Uh, we were so rural, they wouldn't build into service. So we started our own company. And I'm old, but I'm not that old. I wasn't here at that time, but I've been here a long time. <laughs> but anyway, we started our own uh, telephone cooperative, got a low interest loan from the government. Just started as a telephone company and was a telephone company for a long time. And uh, I started here uh, right out of college in 1976 been here 47 years and and I just had a job I had a degree in business administration and but my wife and I wanted to come home and work and not many jobs here so I took a job answering the phone we were just trying to get everybody on a single party telephone line at that time it was uh, a lot of party lines a lot of complaints about so-and-so spending too much time on the phone or listening in on their calls so I was thinking uh, you know in the mid-80s when we got it when everybody had a single party line, I was thinking, well, we've got this telephone thing solved. We, we've got it all taken care of now. We're, no more problems. But a few years later, we got into the TV business. Uh, we got into the tele, uh, first dial-up internet business, then DSL. We uh, decided in 2008 that we could do our TV and our telephone and our internet all on fiber, if we could do it all on fiber network. So we got a 
got a loan from uh, from the government, twenty million dollar loan, and then there was a stimulus going on at that time too, like there is now, some stimulus broadband money, and we were lucky enough to get some of that, twenty five million part loan, part grant, and that allowed us uh, to build pretty much the rest of our network, both Jackson and Alexander County, with all fiber. So we just did away with our copper and our coax, went all fiber. It took fifty million. Uh, $50,000 a mile, about 1,000 miles of fiber, and we we provided that last $5 million with our own capital. We were also part owner of a wireless company, us and four small companies in eastern Kentucky. Five of us, we built a, started a wireless company from scratch in, in the late 90s, Appalachian Wireless, and it's now bigger than any of the five companies that own it. And we also built a 400-mile fiber ring that connects all six companies throughout eastern Kentucky, and that was built probably 20, 25 years ago. So, you know, we've done some things with fiber and, and, you know, now, you know, although we do telephone, TV, you know, wireless and broadband, broadband by far the most important thing that people want. And we can give high quality gigabit capable service to anybody in our two counties uh, that we serve. And, and, you know, we've since branched out in some other counties, but, but we've been doing that for a long time. So 2014, we finished, it was about a six year project and it was all we're all fiber since then, but like I said, we're a nonprofit company owned by the people that uh, we serve, and we 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 have a seven member board that that are my bosses elected by the by the members. I think there are a lot of listeners that don't really understand how rural Jackson County is. <laughs> to hear how connected Jackson County is, you're like the crown jewel of of Eastern Kentucky when it comes to broadband. It's just amazing what you've done and. You know, we've mentioned before on this show, we've heard about the digital divide. We've seen in broadband plans for decades that in these planning documents, how important broadband was, but no one ever does it. PRTC is someone that has done it. We consider you doers. Um, Why do you think people haven't done it? Is it the cost? Is it the capacity? Is it actually running a business? What is it that you think it hasn't happened in our area? you know, obviously cost is probably the biggest thing, you know, and, and the bigger companies, which do most of the internet throughout the country and Kentucky, you know, they're going to spend most of their money where most of the people are. And, you know, they got stockholders. And so companies like mine, and there's other small companies in Eastern Kentucky that are doing this too. We're, we're more focused on just the people we serve, just the people that own us. And, and so we found some ways, some creative ways to, to get some, some funding to help with just our normal funding. And, and you know, I think part of it just right place at right time. If you'd asked me in 2008, is this going to transform our community and everybody's going to be working from home? And, you know, nobody knew the pandemic was going to hit, but there's so much education, so much healthcare, so much economic development through broadband now that was more of a dream back in 2008. It's really been even more important than we realized. I mean, we, we were just looking, okay, well, it's, Right now we're running three networks, we're running fiber, copper, and coax. Let's get rid of some of this and just, just be an all-fiber network and be easier to maintain. In the long run, it'll be cheaper. And, uh, you know, we can do a lot better internet. But how it's transformed our communities, uh, I, I can't say that I knew that was going to happen that much. But it's it's been amazing. And uh, as we talked to some of our neighboring counties, I guess I didn't realize how bad their internet was, especially outside the towns. We've built out in some of those counties and built some fiber. And, and those customers, I think, love us even more than our 
incumbent customers because they've never, they've never had bad internet. But <laughs> some of these places that are going from three and four meg to five hundred meg or a gig, uh, they 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 are pretty happy. You know, you mentioned the market and private companies. And that's really why private companies won't come in because they don't see that ROI. They don't see that profit. You know, I read that there are over 250 co-ops, rural co-ops, planning or deploying broadband services throughout the country, you obviously being one of them. But there are also, you know, 600, over 600 municipalities running municipal networks. Do you think it's advantageous for co-ops because you know the area well because it's smaller, because it's rural, because you know you can connect every single person in your own community. Do you think that those are some of the advantages of co-ops? Absolutely. And, uh, and you know, I can see uh, personally a difference in people's lives here. We, we're getting, we're, you know, we're, we're playing a small part, but, you know, I grew up, this is my hometown, and, and I can actually see our company making a difference in improving people's this is a better place to live and work than it was before we had this all fiber network. And uh, there's people buying property, moving in here from all, all every state in the union because we have, you know, pretty low cost of living here. But part of it is broadband and we've got Airbnbs all over the county. People are staying here. And part of the reason is, you know, they can be in the middle of nowhere and uh, have great broadband and do whatever they want to. But I think the fact that, you know, everybody knows me and they know my phone number and, you know, you're a little more responsive to your customers, I think, when they're your neighbors, friends, relatives, and and you just, you know, they're part part of your family. I think from an outsider's perspective, when they look at these big companies, they consider because they're a big company, they're going to provide better internet. They don't understand that a co-op can provide just as good, if not better, service for their customers. Yeah, we found that when we... When we started building in some other counties, they'd never heard of us. And, you know, they might have had a they had a national name brand that was providing poor service, but they still, you know, they saw that company advertising on TV and, you know, maybe the NCAA basketball tournament, a halftime show <laughs> or something like that. And, uh, you know, they, they were reluctant to change, but, you know, word of mouth and, and proving the quality of the service has definitely brought us a long way in, in some of these uh, surrounding counties that we're building into. You hear detractors all the time that will say financially it's not sustainable for a co-op. They're going to crowd out the private sector. I'm sure there were a lot of challenges on the way. Can you speak to some of those challenges? And just to what you said earlier, I'm assuming as the co-op, as a nonprofit, it's more important in regards to connectivity. So you put connectivity over profit. Absolutely. I mean, we're you know, we're not looking to make big bucks, but I mean, we, we want to not lose money and, and we like to at least break even. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, part of the whole co-ops foundation is giving back to the community. And, and, you know, whether it's, you know, we don't, you know, providing services is not really all we're about. Any, really, we've, caught, we've done a lot of economic development, community development work. We've done a lot of, uh, you know, education. We give scholarships every year. You know, we help sponsor sports and things like that and you know any civic organization in the communities we don't, we try to help them as well so you know we're much more than just a broadband provider you know we're part of the community you know the electric co-op here they're very similar and and you know we partner in a lot of these things and especially you know you're big in economic development and that's something i didn't know much about till we built all this fiber network and i realized how important that was to economic development i've been 
trying to do a little bit of that myself, not knowing what I'm doing. But uh, but we've, you know, one thing we've learned is nobody, when we built this in 2014, nobody knew it. Nobody heard of us or knew that anybody in Eastern Kentucky had an all fiber gigabit capable network. So I learned pretty quickly, you need to go around and tell your story because uh, people don't know you have it, they're not going to be able to utilize it. And we were fortunate enough to get a, you know, have a story written about us in the New Yorker. You know, that really opened some doors for us. And, you know, I've been on a few of these podcasts and things like that and, and had a lot of interviews. And had, we, we've had stories written about us in the Curl Journal and the Milwaukee Sentinel and, and a lot of different things uh, because, you know, the fact that we're in such a rural, poor, very poor area as well. And a lot of poverty here in Jackson and Alza County. And, and then one of the things that people found interesting is we, when we were putting up some of this fiber optic cable and mostly aerial, you know, we used a mule named Old Bub and uh, we had pictures of Old Bub and uh, that just became a real thing, you know, putting up this state-of-the-art fiber optic with a with an old-fashioned mule. Uh, although we, you know, that was a small, very small part of the construction process, but uh, everybody that stopped us or done a story about us wants to know about Old Bub and uh, uh, the irony there. Uh, made for an interesting story and 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 I realized uh you know the more I talked to people uh, the more important this was and the more people in rural America that didn't have it but a lot of the small companies like us there's other, other co-ops in Kentucky and in eastern Kentucky that are doing this uh they're doing fiber to the home as well gigabit capable but it's just such a small part of we serve a small part of the state whereas the bigger companies uh serve so much more and even more rural area than the smaller companies do and and you know they they focus their money elsewhere. Was that a challenge for you for you guys in the in the beginning? Uh, obviously, you're on the business side of it or the service side. <laughs> but when you're talking about broadband, when you're talking about getting into homes, you know you mentioned the uh, customer service side. You also mentioned the marketing side. Have you had to partner with people? Have you had to hire more people <laughs> in regards to your work uh, to, to do some yep. of those things? Yes, to all of that <laughs> with people. Of course, some of this, what we've done is we've been able to get some government grant money or part grant, part loan. And we've had to partner with people to help us write those grants. And, uh, you know, we partnered a little bit with Electric Cooperative and, and some of the things we did uh, in some of these surrounding counties. You know, they, they serve seven counties. We only serve two. So most of these counties we're building into, they're already in. So we're using their poles and, and we're doing some things in partnerships with them. You know, it has been a challenge because, you know, you have to have money to do this. We went a little bit out on a limb, but we got a really good board that that sees the value and and uh, the difference it's made in our communities. And, you know, even, even you know, Laurel County's got so many people in, even the rural parts of Laurel County uh, are a lot more populated than, than any of the two counties we live. I mean, the biggest town we serve in Jackson Housing County is McKee's got 700 people in one stoplight. Uh, so you know we're we're very rural, but even the rural parts of some of these surrounding counties are, are a little more customers per mile. So it's it's a, it can make a little bit better business case. We still need need assistance in some ways, but uh, also we make a little money from our wireless company we own, and we use some of those funds to build fiber into other areas as well. So we're we're doing okay financially. We're not you know not getting rich, but we're uh, I think we're making a difference in people's lives, and 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 we're you know, doing okay financially as well. So you know, we're very fortunate. I mean, it's been the right place, the right time, more so than us being uh, that that smart. But uh, it's, 
it's nice to be a part of something like this. Well, it's nice to hear the humbleness, but you, you all definitely knew what you were doing when you got started, or at least it sounds like it. And I think perception is reality in a lot of cases. But, you know, you mentioned the funding that, that right now there's no better time in regards to federal funding with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the BEAD, the BEAD Act, which uh, bipartisan is like $65 billion. I think the bead's $42 billion. That's obviously nationwide. But is PRTC, are you going to be applying for some of these fundings to help grow the fiber throughout uh, other counties? Or how, how, have you, how do you see uh, accessing that funding? And also, could a co-op or could PRTC have done this without subsidy? Can you continue to do it without subsidy? I'll answer your last question first. No. We couldn't <laughs> without subsidy. Uh, just too expensive to build in these, uh, you know, low density areas. But we've already, you know, applied for a lot of federal funds, mostly through USDA, RUS, uh, whether it's the Reconnect program, the Community Connect program, the through the FCC, the RDOF program. But but we're definitely going to be applying for bead money. From what we're hearing, Kentucky's probably going to get close to a billion dollars, maybe a little more. Uh, they already have a state loan program uh, that's over $200 million. We've applied for some of those funds uh, that they're still making judgments right now on who's going to be awarded those. But uh, so, yeah, and, and what we're planning to do with them is just branching out in the end of these surrounding counties that we're already have made a little bit of, uh, have built some fiber in and, and we hope to build more. We we haven't applied for any funds to go into many of the towns because they're, they're really not eligible. These When you get these matching grants or grants, you have to be in an area that's got really bad service. Like to, for example, London in Laurel County, you know, they've got too good a service to try to, and, and too many other entries to try to get into, but the other parts of Laurel County, uh, not so much. And and the other, you know, every county that surrounds us, uh, with the exception of, of maybe, and even Madison and Laurel, which are the two most populated, they're struggling with the rural parts of their counties. So, you know, we're looking at anything that touches us and 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 maybe a little bit more, but we'll just we'll just have to see if we get some of those funds. We're going to continue to build fiber. That's all that's all we believe in doing. We we haven't built any copper or coax cable in a long time. And and we won't yeah. be doing any of that. I want I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you about advocacy, but first, did y'all consider putting it underground when you first started laying the fiber? And what what are the advantages of overground, above ground and underground? We do a little underground. It's just uh in these mountains, the terrain and the rock, it's a little bit difficult. And you know, a lot of it depends on if you already have a pole line there, like if the electric co-op's willing to let us use, of course, for a fee, I mean they don't give it to you, but if they're already there and you can use their their line, their pole line, that that might be a cheaper way, much cheaper way of doing it than going underground. We do we do go underground some, but as far as uh, our network, it's like seventy percent aerial, thirty percent buried. But if you're more flat land, like I know there's co-ops in Western Kentucky, everything they have is underground, and you know it just depends on where you are and and the cost of doing it, and you know that that's what that yes. that helps us make those kind of decisions. I wanted to ask you about what you do beyond. I guess the actual work, but that, do, does BRTC do, do y'all advocate? I know you've been to the White House several times. You know, I've heard some advocacy from other co-ops talk about continue. You mentioned the reconnect funding from USDA to continue that, to define broadband for federal funding as the minimum speed of 100 megabytes. I know that's something that's important for co-ops. Include funding for middle mile fiber network. 
and collect more accurate information in regards to mapping the region so that underserved areas can actually get the funding as opposed to other areas that claim. Are those some of the advocacy areas and do you advocate uh, PRTC, does PRTC advocate for a lot of these issues? Yeah, I was actually in Washington last week, third time of the year that our national association, there's like 800 some companies that are in MTCA, World Broadband Association. They're not all co-op, some are family owned, small companies, but we, we went with our last week visiting our senators and congressmen and talking about those very issues you're talking about. And, and of course, uh, us being part owner of wireless company, Appalachian Wireless or East Kentucky Network, that middle mile, uh, they, they've applied for some funds for that too. So all the things you mentioned, we also go to Frankfurt and, and talk to, you know, at least one or two days a year, we'll go to Frankfurt and talk to our legislators about those issues as well. And, uh, the government controls a lot of funding that affects what we can do in rural America in broadband and yeah. a lot of other things, but broadband's <laughs> the main thing I'm interested in, but <laughs> there's a lot of other things that control that affects our life in rural America yeah. as well. Majority of this federal funding runs through the state, correct? It goes to the state the, first. The bead, the bead money will run through the state. Now, your typical uh, RUS funding is, is a federal thing. It don't go through the state. And we, we've, we've, we've uh, borrowed a lot of money from them in the, in the past. That's how we got started in 1950 and borrowed a lot of money in the past from them and got some grant money from them. So, so there's, we can do it through the state or the feds in any way we can do it. And I was, I was on a panel last year and uh, the person who got me on the panel said, what I want you to do is, is tell these folks all the funding you've got and all you've asked for and all you've gotten. And I did. And it just surprised me when I looked at how many times we've been turned down, how much money we've been turned down for, as opposed to how much we've got. So you just got to be persistent. You know, we've probably been turned down for two to three times the amount of money that we've got. But uh, we keep trying. I feel like it's, it's important. It's like your Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, if you if you if you have ten at bats and you hit three balls, that's considered pretty good, right? Three hundred. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I played a lot of baseball, especially slow pitch softball. It was more like four or 500 was good in those <laughs> days. But, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Put it in baseball terms, you, you're going to make a few outs, but uh, you got to keep trying. Well, I wanted to ask you from a personal perspective, you know, you mentioned economic development, how much it has transformed the area there in Jackson. Just in a short amount of time, you know, it's been, what, 10 years since you first laid that fiber. but. Uh, I know teleworks has been really important in your area to allow people to work from home. And that wouldn't have been possible without you laying that fiber in the beginning. Can you talk a little bit about, about that, how that came to be, how they came to the area? Yeah, teleworks is something we're really proud of and we partner with. They they came, the folks from EKSEP, which is a sort of a job creation program in Eastern Kentucky, they came to us. So we hear you have some good broadband. We're wanting to start this program where people can be trained to work from home. And we're like, can, can you set us up a, a hub or a place with computers? Can you help us find one? And, and we're like, yeah, we'll be happy to do it. And actually, the electric co-op partnered in that as well, as well as county government. And we found a place for them. We wired it for them. And it uh, started really slow. But once I got this this particular lady in place, Betty Hayes, she was just a rock star. And she started making all these connections with these companies, these work from home uh, contracting companies. And uh, 
It was just very, very successful. We've had in, in the last probably six years, 1,200 jobs in Jackson and County just through that program. And then if you count some of the area we built into Lee and Clay County, there's another 500 in those two counties. All four counties had a hub. Now, when the pandemic hit, I think they went to all virtual and it all changed. But that teleworks program has been a huge success. And and that don't even count the people that work from home. I mean, I, I was at the post office the other day and uh, ran into a guy from New Jersey. He said, I'm looking for PRTC. I said, well, I work there at the office about a mile up the road. Uh, he said, we just bought a farm in your county here. He said, my wife and I work at cybersecurity. And uh, I'm like, well, we'd be happy to serve you. I said, well, how'd you hear about us? It's like, well, I read about you in the New Yorker. <laughs> okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, things like that. That's not telework's job, but that's, that's you know, probably even better paying work from home jobs. There's a lot of them out there we don't know how to quantify. I mean, that's a story that needs to be told. We talk about it all the time in economic development. I don't even think it's attracting companies anymore. It's attracting workforce, attracting workers, but they have to have that job to to be attracted to. And and broadband, you know, we say it's a game changer, but I think Jackson County is proof positive that it can be a game changer for your community if done right, if done well. I've lived here all my life and most of my life, everybody complained about all the things we didn't have that all our surrounding counties. We didn't even have a Walmart. We didn't have a four lane. I've heard heard that. We didn't have a college. We didn't have a, you know, we we didn't, we we didn't have a hospital, you know, we didn't have anything, but now, you know, it's nice to be able to say we have something that actually others want rather than the other way around. So it's something to be proud of. Well, I wanted to ask you from, uh, I mentioned before from a personal perspective, but you mentioned, you know, lifelong resident, born and raised there, stayed there. Why did you stay in Jackson County? Was it hard for you to stay after, uh, you know, you, you mentioned you went you went away to college, but was it hard for you to stay in Jackson? Was well, not I? Of course, I started out, you know, entry level and, and minimum, pretty much minimum wage job. We didn't have much, but we didn't know it. And, and we were just going to start a family. My wife and I went to college together and Got married as soon as we got out of college and, and started moved back home, started work. We just wanted to work here close to our family and friends. And I never even thought about moving away. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't have if I couldn't have found something here, but this is where my family was. This is where my friends were. I didn't want to leave. It just worked out for me. I never really thought about, you know, I wasn't like trying to make the big bucks and, and be some big important person. Uh, I just wanted to live my life and, and be happy here. And 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 I've been really fortunate to, uh, this was, I didn't realize what a great company this was when I started, uh, you know, 47 years ago, but I've you now been the CEO 27 years. So it's been, uh, it's been a really good, good gig. And, and I've been fortunate. Pardon the pun when you use gig, when, when, when the, when the CEO of BRC uses the word gig, it means a little bit different. <laughs> but, I might mean multiple meanings there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I think your story is typical from a lot of uh, people from the area that you know. When you grow up where we where we grow up, you don't really think about leaving. You know, you're told as you grow up, you know, you should leave. You should leave for more opportunities. But uh, home, it, you know, drives us. The 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 quality of life that we have in that area, you know, can't be explained from someone that's not from that area, I think. 
But, you know, kids today with the broadband that you have, have you seen the effect of it allowing people more opportunities, more opportunities to stay in Jackson County, especially the yeah, young people? Yeah, I think so. And we, we even talk about that. I mean, I when I talk to people about the importance of this broadband, I mean, one of the things I, I always say is, I mean, this, if people want to leave, they can leave. But in the past, many of them didn't have a choice. But now, you know, maybe they can at least stay if they want to. And we, we just want to make this the quality of life better here, better place to live and work uh, than it has been in the past. And, you know, I know still 50% of Jackson County residents work in surround, surrounding counties. And, you know, there's still plenty of room for improvement. You know, they, they'll drive to London, to Berea, to Richmond, to Lexington. And, you know, just because there's not that many jobs here, but then we got people coming here from California and New Jersey working from home. So yeah, pretty, pretty cool. The difference there. What's next for, or, or is there a next for PRTC? I know you mentioned expanding into a few other counties, but do you see that as a vision to help not only Owsley and Jackson, but the entire region there where you're from to have better broadband service? We are getting a lot of people County judges and mayors and even statewide leaders saying, "Won't you guys build fiber in some of these other places?" And, and we're and we're doing that slowly as we get funding to do so. Of the, of the counties we're building in right now, we've been building longer in Clay and Lee County, and we just started into towards Buckhorn and and Rock Castle and Laurel. You know, we got 52 employees, we got 7,000 customers in Jackson Alexander County, but we got. You know, now we have about 1,600 customers in these other counties. So we're growing and, you know, we're really small, but, you know, population of Jackson as a county is just like 17,000 both counties yeah. together. So, you know, any of these other counties that, that we can uh, help and, and add customer growth and make our company, you know, what we've learned in this business is, you know, we provide telephone, TV, and broadband. Telephone and TV, those numbers shrink every year. Uh, people are doing telephone yeah. via wireless. People are doing TV via streaming. Uh, but broadband numbers grow every year. So as our services shrink, instead of a three-service company, it's going to become more and more towards one service. You know, we, we felt the need to add customers. Uh, and, and and we're trying to do that as we branch out. And in the meantime, you know, we're, we're helping uh, the economy of Eastern Kentucky in a small way. Obviously, why we wanted to have you on the show, we wanted to show people, especially rural areas in Appalachia, that it's possible that you're doing it, that other areas can do it. You have to look beyond the planning and actually have some doers that that will do it. Even if you don't have the know-how in the beginning that they're, you know, you know, it's it's possible to get something like this done. It is. And, and of course, you know, people, a lot of people called us as if we're some kind of experts, but because of what we've done but there's a lot of people doing this now and wasn't as many doing it back when we started but there's a, there's a lot of companies doing this now and even the bigger companies are realizing you know with with all the bead money i think the bigger companies are gonna they're gonna put more fiber into rural areas but they're still gonna concentrate on the more populated rural areas for lack of a better word and uh, they you know there's it's tough I'm, I'm a strong believer that everybody deserves fiber everybody needs fiber it is a challenge, but I, I, you know, I think we're a prime example. If, if we can do it in Jackson, Owsley County, as rural and as poor as we are, you know, there, there's ways there's ways for other people to do it as well. And, and, you know, it does require some help, and the government's 
they're putting a lot of money out there and, and hopefully it'll get used wisely and not spent on something that's not a, a I hesitate to use the word future proof. A lot of people use that for fiber, but I, I don't know if there is such a thing, but it's certainly the most future proof method of providing broadband, I think, for the long term. I can envision a good country song from that. You know, people say there, there's that song. If you can do it in New York, you can do it anywhere. If you can do it in Jackson and Alza, you can do it. You can do it anywhere. I think I think that well, would be a perfect country song. Uh, somebody's going to have to write that. I think you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keith, I, I, uh, I have a few more questions, but we wanted to thank you for the work that you do, have done with PRTC, but it, it's so especially in regards to the broadband, it's so important for the area, for the people of that area. So we just want to thank you and commend you for all the work that you have been doing and will continue to do there. I'm like quarterback in football. I get way too much credit when things go right. Probably too much blame when things go wrong too. But uh, we have a good team, a good board. Our company's done a lot of good things. So I thank you for that. I wanted to ask you real quick if we could, if I could ask you a few, just a couple rapid fire questions just to get to know Keith a little bit better. Sure. What's your, since you're a lifelong resident of Jackson, what's your favorite spot, whether it be a restaurant or just area in Jackson, what's your favorite place to go? Well, as far as restaurant, we don't have many, but we got we got Opal's home cooking. That's pretty good here. But uh, there, we also have a little county park that is unique. And I see people from all over the country going up there. Flat Lake Falls. If you're next time you're back in Kentucky, you ought to visit it. It's pretty cool. It's a county park now. You, when I was a kid, uh, it was like you had to trespass to get to it. It's private property, but uh, <laughs> now it's a county park. They've got a nice overlook, and uh, it's uh, they've got picnic shelters, RV camping, and stuff. Pretty cool little place for for Jackson County, and uh, it's it's really nice. Very cool. Of course, um, I don't camp there. It's too close to my home, but still, I like to go and visit. <laughs> Obviously, you've traveled outside the area. What's, do you have another favorite place in Appalachia? Well, I, you know, being a longtime Pittsburgh Pirate fan, I guess I'd have to say Pittsburgh. That's right in the middle of Appalachia, too. And I make a trek up a trek up there at least once a year to the weekend. And this year, I think I need to go early while we're while we're winning. But uh, <laughs> yeah. one, one thing, my wife and I, this bucket list uh, when I when we were. She's been retired for a long time, but when I retire, we were going to do all this stuff. And a few years ago, we were like, well, maybe we ought to start doing it now. So I always wanted to go to spring training. Started going and spending a week to 10 days in, in Florida every, every March, and I watched the Pirates play, along well as other teams. We really enjoy that. I mean, not cool. just baseball, but the whole experience down there. But it, spring oh. training is a pretty cool time to watch. That, usually they got a better chance of winning during spring training, too. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Any destinations outside of Appalachia that's been your favorite place? Well, Bray, I I've been lucky enough <laughs> to travel throughout most of this country to mostly work-related conferences or trips, but also family vacations. But I'd say, you know, up in uh, New England and Maine, we loved when we visited up there. That is really cool. Of course, everybody loves to go to Florida, but Seattle's another place that one of my wife's favorite places to visit. That's pretty cool too. But um, again, Pittsburgh's not a bad place either. But uh, uh, well, let me ask you this then: Who's your favorite pirate of all time? Oh, that's easy. The great one, Roberto Clemente. It's nice to be able to walk across the Clemente Bridge to go to the game. He was not just a great ball player, and probably one of the best defensive outfielders to ever play the game, if not the best, as well as 
you know, he won some MVPs and he did okay offensively too, but uh, he had such a throwing arm. It was amazing. But I mean, you know, he died doing humanitarian uh, on a plane crash, uh, taking supplies to victims of her, of, um, of an earthquake in Central America. And just, he was a great humanitarian too. He, he was all about making lives better for other people. And, and I think one of the things I've been to his museum in Pittsburgh, and one of his quotes was like, you know, if during your life here, if you haven't made something better for the people who come along behind you, you've, you've wasted your time here. I'm, I'm no Clemente, but I think PRTC, we're, we're trying to do some things like that as well, uh, make things better for the people that's coming up behind us. Yeah, I liked how you mentioned that in the very beginning when I started asking questions. You you, you mentioned we're not just a broadband service. We do a lot of things in community, and I like how you brought that up first. Uh, so I, I think that's part of what a cooperative should be about. And, yeah. you know, I was just always raised to be a part, big part. Of me and my dad was mayor here for a few years, and, and uh, you know, he was just always involved in every kind of civic organization and everything going on. And I guess I just learned it from early age that you need to be a part of things trying to make things better sometimes they work sometimes they don't but you don't give up yeah that's that's the that's the great thing about a small town that that community aspect well i wanted to ask you a very important question you you uh mentioned how much you like vegetable plates but i guess in a side to the vegetable plates what's your favorite cornbread or biscuits i like them both but um (laughs) <laughs> if I'm going to Cracker Barrel, I usually get cornbread when they ask me that. <laughs> okay, but, okay. but I mean, if it was the right kind of biscuit, I might go that way too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Neil always answers both. He gets very political on this. On this. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't go wrong with either one. But I mean, you could throw some spoon bread in there too if you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> there, you there you go. There you go. All right, I have two more questions for you. Uh, this is question. These two questions we always ask all our guests. But what's the first thing? you think of when I say the word Appalachia? Home. It's family. Lived here all my life, and this is uh, it's special to me. I mean, it's certainly beautiful. There's a lot of things you could say about Appalachia. I mean, there's a lot of bad things some people say about it, but uh, to me, it's just uh, there's great people here. They're loving, caring, kind people, and we all try to help each other. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect, perfect answer. Uh, obviously, there's no right or wrong, but it's all, always good to hear someone's perspective when they when they hear that word, whether they're from the area their whole life or whether they're not from the area. Yeah, I don't even like, say it right half the time. I'll say Appalachia, and, and I guess it's supposed to be Appalachia. I'm living here. Well, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Everything. I think either one of them is appropriate, but I don't know. I think it's those Pittsburgh fans that pronounce it Appalachia. But, uh, could be. It could be. <laughs> Well, you mentioned home as part of your answer, and that's another question. Place and perspective, it's really important. It's kind of what we ground our podcast on. It's important for Neil and I. It's important for Appalachia. So we wanted to ask you just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? McKee, Kentucky is home for me. I live in the home that my grandparents built 100 years ago, and uh, I was raised in a house next door. Now, I've lived a few miles outside of McKee during the early part of my marriage but uh, it's just you know that's where I grew up it's nice to be able to walk to the Dollar General store which is our version of Walmart as you know and yeah. uh, I could walk to there or walk to the restaurant or walk to church or walk to work I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much right in the middle of McKee that's great and we want to thank you for the work that you're doing work that you do for being on the show I, I think it obviously came across in the show but 
in regards to broadband. It's so important for the people there, so important for the region. And it's doing so much, and it really can't be a game changer for an area, a small rural area in, in the world we live in today. Absolutely. It is uh, so very, very important. I mean, you know, we provide telephone, TV, and broadband. Broadband is by far the most important, by far the one most people want as well now. But we've seen that change a lot over the last 10 or 15 years. And like I said, I've been here 47 years, but the last 15 or 20 has been so, so many changes, so much different in our industry. And, you know, I'm just thankful we were fortunate enough to to get this all fiber network built early on. And, uh, you know, everybody else is, is wanting something like that now. And and it, it because it is such a game changer. I mean, it affects our work life. It affects our health care. It affects our education our entertainment, pretty much almost everything we do in life, probably too much, you can do by, by broadband. I think more of us need to get out and play some ball every now and then. I wish I was still young enough to play baseball because <laughs> I miss it. But, uh, but I mean, other than getting some, other than getting exercise, broadband, broadband probably can't help you do that too much. But everything else in life, it, it, <laughs> it can help you with almost everything. People from, you know, where we're from that we we often get overlooked, but it, it provides that opportunity and it levels that playing field to make us all equal regardless. That's, of- and that's all we want in Appalachia. We get looked down upon so many different ways, but if we've, if we've just got a level playing field, you know, we feel like we can do anything anybody else can do. That's right. I just need that opportunity and we appreciate you for providing that. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on, Will. I really enjoyed, enjoyed talking with you. so consumed by the conversation i totally forgot to ask keith if he was the real owner of practical move running (laughs) totally forgot yeah you did man so keith if you're listening man call us back call us back need to know i'll see you on millionaire's row tomorrow i'll I'll know he's the silent owner of practical move you heard it here first for real but man what an what a great guy not only for the work he's doing, but just a great person, but someone that, that, you know, loves the area, stayed in the area, had options, but really wanted to stay in the area. Him and his wife have been there for, for decades, and he's worked for PRTC. He's now CEO. And the incredible work they're doing in regards to broadband, like we said in the beginning, if you don't know how small McKee, Kentucky is, and you won't really appreciate what they've done there in regards to uh, digital equity, in regards to connectivity in that area. Keith is just like most of the great Appalachians that we have on our show. He's a doer, man. And uh, over time and for, for a long period of time, he's been, he's been getting things done. So uh, kudos to, to him, kudos to PRTC. Over there in Jackson County, Kentucky, uh, like Will mentioned, the the population in in McKee, the city of McKee, uh, the only registered population I can find online says that there's 805 in 2021. So whether that's correct or not, just think about that. Let that sink in, but just so you can get an idea of just how small of an area. Of course, the county's larger than that, but actual city over there is, is very small. So 
great work being recognized on a national level. We obviously, we appreciate and recognize the work that he's doing and really what PRTC is doing. They're putting connectivity over profit. You know, we spoke when we spoke to Connect Humanity, running these networks can be profitable, even in rural areas. But PRTC is really putting community first. They're putting connectivity over profitability and making it a really a thriving region because of what they've done in regards to broadband. So like you said, kudos to him, kudos to PRTC. Do you, do you have a business of the week for us this week? I have a couple of business at biz of the week because it is. Who? We got two? Who? You know, we spoke about it in the beginning, it being small business week. Yep. Because it is small business week. The Small Business Administration this week, this past Monday on May 1st, they recognized a National Small Business Person of the Year from all 50 states. And two of those people are actually in Appalachia. And so we we wanted to highlight them. And they are... The first one is in Huntington, West Virginia, Paris Signs. They do everything in regards to lit signs and non-lit signs, flat signs, cutout letters, banners, digital and screen printing, and 3D, et cetera, et cetera. But they started in 1983. Tony and Heather Wheeler. Tony started in 1983 when he was in high school just painting signs for someone. And they've built it into a 40,000 square foot building all the way to the point that they actually have a patent on modular power delivery systems for sign installation. So they've been thriving for the last, what, 30 plus years there in Huntington, West Virginia. It's an incredible story. And like I said, for West Virginia for 2023, they were named the Small Business Person of the Year. So congrats to them. And if you want to check them out, it's parissigns.com. The other small business that we wanted to highlight, Annie's Flooring and Commercial Services in Meadville, Pennsylvania. So Appalachian part of Pennsylvania over there in eastern Pennsylvania. It is run by Mindy Nearhoof who was awarded the Pennsylvania Small Business Person of the Year by the U.S. uh, Small Business Administration this year, like we said. They do everything in regards to flooring and commercial cleaning. They've been in business for over 20 years there in Crawford County in Pennsylvania, and they really make it simple for you. You contact them, they visit your project, they give you an estimate, and then if you approve, the work is done they said. So really, they've been going strong for a long time. So we just wanted to highlight them. If you're in the area, if you're looking for some flooring for some commercial cleaning, it's Annie's Flooring. That's A-N-N-I-E-S flooring.com. All right. Well, shout out to Paris Signs and Annie's Flooring. We don't know any representatives from those companies, but I'm sure they're listening. Glad to celebrate them as part of Small Business Owners Week. And appreciate you pointing them out. Yep. Great Appalachians. Definitely. We've had a lot of great Appalachians on the show today. Now I guess we're about at that time. Faux show. Keith, really appreciate you again. My son has a little league game tonight that I'm going to. He's taking on the Pirates. I hope you go down. 
but uh, <laughs> I appreciate your love for the, uh, the 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 major league squad. But tonight, I hope the little league pirates go down. I guess with that being said, big bro. Yep. Next week, I guess you will owe me what? What do we say? Three thousand pesos for tap it twice. But if that were going to be true, I wouldn't be a practical mover, and we know better than that. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out next week. We can talk about it then. But until then, like I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.